Take your Bibles, go to Philippians chapter 2. A few, uh, I guess not a few years ago, lots of years ago, when I was in high school, um, we would go on summer trips with our church to go to other churches. A lot of times we would run kids' programs and do those sort of things, and it was kind of a week in the summer and we would go. And I, I'm not sure that I went every summer of high school, but I might have only missed one. Went almost every year. And one of the things that was interesting when we went to other churches was that we would stay in someone's home. So usually they would like break us up into groups of two or three, and we would stay with people. I have some interesting memories from that. There's a guy that I stayed with in West Virginia um, who's now runs an orphanage in Zambia, Africa. And uh, so I see him, and that's a fascinating, that was a fascinating stay that I had. But there was one in particular that I remember, and that was we went to a church in Pennsylvania, and I don't even remember exactly what the church name was. I know we ran some kids' programs, um, but I got paired off with a friend of mine named Craig, and he and I went... Uh, to this home, and as we were going, my youth pastor said, you guys are going to have a good time. I'm like, okay. You know, you kind of never know when you're going to stay at somebody else's home. Turns out that the family that we went to stay with, uh, the, they owned like three or four Domino's pizza chain, or restaurants. They were franchisees. So they owned like these three or four restaurants. And we got to their house, and I will never forget it. They had a swimming pool. They had a full-size basketball court, and they had a half-size soccer field, and they were all lit. So they had, like, stadium lighting for activity, you know, the whole time. Not only that, I'll never forget this part. I don't know why. Uh, They had a full, like, walkout basement that was ours for the week, and it included a fully stocked fridge of sodas. Like, it was awesome. (laughs) And I remember as like a 15-year-old boy thinking, how could it get better than this? There's an in-ground pool that's lighted. There's basketball court. There's a soccer field. And in my 15-year-old boy mind, these people own a pizza chain restaurant. And there's sodas in the fridge that are free to a good home. I will be that home. And I remember thinking, how could it get any better than this? Sometimes when we look at life or other people's lives, we feel that way. It's interesting as we come to the book of Philippians that the first chapter starts off saying some amazing things about this church. And and we've looked at some of this, but but I wonder as we come to chapter 2 if we wouldn't think, well, what more could you actually want, right? Here's what we've seen about this church. Here are some things that we talked about couple weeks ago, I won't stay there, but we've seen Paul lead in just in joy at how God is working here. That that God's working in these people's lives individually, that that they've come to trust Christ as Savior, and, and he's got a good work that he's doing in them, and they've actually shared in all this gospel ministry together. Paul has amazing thoughts. It just brings him joy. We, if you read on through the book, you see that these are people who gave again and again to see the gospel advance. And then we see Paul's view on life that even in prison that was happening, the good news of Jesus was advancing. And I wonder if I were to tell you that one of your children or your, all of your children or a discipleship group that you're a part of or a group of people that you deeply love and care about, that they would know Jesus They would love Jesus, and they would be pursuing the advance of his gospel with their whole heart. 
if you would say like I kind of naturally do, that's enough. I mean, if you told me today that Timothy, my two-year-old, would grow up to trust Jesus and to follow Jesus and to, to care about his kingdom and to give his life to see other people know him, I'd be like, win! Wouldn't you feel that way? But what we learn from Paul is that there's always room to grow. Right? Look at chapter 3, verse 12. This is part of like Paul's heartbeat. Paul says, not that I have already obtained, right, unto the resurrection of Jesus, not that I've already arrived or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Do you know why I thought that a a swimming pool and a basketball goal and a soccer field and pizza and soda was like all that, like, how could you ask for more? Why did I think that way? I was 15. And to me, like, that's all, that's the be all end all. I was a 15 year old boy. Maybe I should specify that. What, what Paul's saying here is there's, there's something more to strive for. So look back at chapter 2. Look at what he says. I mean, these people had already brought him great joy as he thought about God's grace working in them. But I wonder, what could we actually want more than God's grace? We, we live in, I don't have any time for this, but let me just touch here real quick. Okay. Grace is God's enabling for us to do what he's called us to do. It's a free gift. But grace is not everything or all things. Okay, you cannot flatten Christianity to grace. It is like a diamond faceted in so many other ways. Do you understand what I'm saying? We can make, if, if we make everything we sing about grace and everything we do about grace and everything in our Bibles about grace, we, we have flattened Christianity, being a follower of Jesus, when it is far more faceted than that. Now, does that mean grace is not important? No, grace is hugely important, right? Our sister church is Gospel Grace Church. We believe in being grace-saturated, gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. Grace is important. But it doesn't stop there. Our lives don't begin and end there. Watch. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What is that? Gave that verse a word. I I saw it mouthed. Unity, right? 
Unity is important. Okay, keep going. Do nothing from selfish ambition or, dis- or conceit, but in, there's our second one, humility, count others more significant than yourselves. But Paul, these people, there's so much good stuff happening. Paul says, there's more. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here is humility in its greatest display. God responds to humility like he always responds to humility, but even, you know, in a greater way in Jesus, perfect humility. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do everything without grumbling or disputing. Don't whine about your life and don't fight with people. By the way, think about how different your life would be if you just didn't whine and didn't fight. Think about how different your marriage would be or your family would be or your children would be. Like just those two things. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. You know what Paul's saying? I, I'm hoping that when I get to my, the end of my life, I don't feel like I wasted my time with you. I wasted my effort. I hope I don't feel that way. Then he, he kind of goes on from there. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you all should be glad and rejoice with me. And I believe what we have here is actually really instructive for us as parents and as a church family and as friends. God desires to do more in you than just having you see evident work of his grace. Okay, what we saw this morning was an evident work of God's grace. What, what we saw as people joined and as we heard the word are evident works of God's grace. But to isolate our lives to gospel advance, which is important, and seeing God save and change people, it's important. But do you know that God has another piece that he desires for this church? Just like Paul desired for them. And by the way, don't get me wrong here. This is all God's working, Okay. Some of you are looking at me, kind of, your eyes are, you're like, I don't know where you're going with this. It's a great church. 
But Paul says, in order to be, to complete my joy, there's actually something that I hope for you. See, we, have a, we start this book with a joy-filled prayer that kind of sees the past. We move to a joy-filled view of life, right, how where things are in the present. And then Paul says, I actually have a challenge for you. And he hits four things. He hits unity. He hits humility. In a way, he hits activity, right? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then he hits contentment. Think about that picture. Would you like to be part of a church family that not only is it evident God's grace is working in gospel ways, but it's also unified, humble, working, active, and content. Can I make the case for you that Paul's actually already told us exactly what that is? Look at chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the pastors, overseers, and deacons. What does Paul want them to have? Two things. Grace and... What? Isn't peace, unity and humility, and activity, and contentment. Do you see what I'm saying? This is actually additionally important. That that a healthy church is a place where there is abundant activity of grace, and there is abundant peace. But, but can I tell you, the, the goal of peace is not that we're laying in a serene spot doing nothing, right? It's not that you get to the beach in Mexico, get to hang out, sunny day, no polar vortex. That's actually not peace. I like how one author said it. There, there's objective peace, right? Peace with God, Romans 5 verse 1. But there's also internal peace, subjective peace. Peace is the condition of the heart when anxiety and fear and conflict are not troubling the heart. Isn't that what Paul desires for this place? That there's so much unity, not uniformity, but there's so much unity that there's peace. And the sad reality is If most of us have experienced that in church, we've experienced it for a fleeting moment. But but Paul says, this is what we should be pursuing together. How does that sort of unity happen? It happens by humility, right? And you can go online and probably find 50 sermons on Philippians 2, 5 through 11. So if you wanted me to go deep there today, you, there are plenty of options for you. You could go and, and read verses 12 and 13 about working out our own salvation. 
But I think what Paul is painting here is a picture of what it looks like to have a church filled with grace and a church filled with peace. And you know how central that was to the Apostle Paul? Guess what he started all, not most, all his letters with? Grace and peace. Except First and Second Timothy, where he threw mercy in too. But you get grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. Go to First Peter chapter 1. Not just Paul. This went to Peter too. Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles, a bunch of places, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So Paul in Philippians drives this point home in chapter 2 that his desire is for a place, a group of people, where there is spirit-filled unity, there is Christ-like humility, there is God-enabled activity, right? And there is a heart of contentment. So I wonder, how do we thwart, thwart is probably not the best word, how do we put ourselves in a place to resist God's grace. Some of you are just waking back up, I know. Where does God give grace? To the humble. So we resist, so we, 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 we resist, God resists us in our pride, Right? But think about Philippians chapter 2. How do we, how does, how does the enemy, maybe is a good word, destroy peace? Yeah. So in a sense, thinking I can do it myself chokes off God's grace. And thinking it's all about me destroys God's peace. So here's the challenge, and it's the same one that Paul made to the Philippians. And, and by the way, I, I don't have time to get into any of this, but the idea of peace is through our Bibles. I mean, sometimes Daniel end a sermon with the benediction from Numbers chapter 24, right? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. The Hebrew word for completeness, for fullness. It's interesting to me that when Hebrews talks about something that's of extreme importance to us, it says, pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. It's everywhere you go. Go to Romans 15. We'll finish here. So you jumped around a lot. Yep, I did. Guilty as charged. 
one of the pastors at Gospel Grace referenced these verses, um, I don't know, it was probably a year ago when he said, this is what I'm praying for you guys. Look at Romans chapter 15, verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Skip down to verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So what Paul is really praying for this church is that there might be a place filled with God's grace and filled with his peace. And so I just wonder for all of us, is, is peace actually something you're pursuing? Is it something that you are fighting, Danny mentioned this sermon, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? Is there conflict or anxiety or fear that you need to deal with? Because God has called us to peace. And it's actually a really big deal that in the church we see the evident working of God's grace and that we see the evident presence of God's peace. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Philippians chapter 2. What a, what a um, joy it would be if you would grant us to be of one spirit and one mind together. If you would fill us with the humility that it takes to do that, to actually let go of our own way, of our own having to do things on our own and be right and be the center of attention and have it done our way. God, would you free us and make us humble? We pray that you would develop in us a heart of contentment. We know that godliness with contentment is great gain. And that you would do that in this body that is yours, this family. Thank you for those we welcome today. Thank you for Corbin sharing of how you saved his soul. Thank you for the joy that you have brought to us. But Lord, we pray that we might be mature believers who are ever striving to follow you who don't just see moments like that and go, ah, oh, it's all good, but that we would really pursue what you have called us to. May you make this a place of grace and peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.